Chapter 7 The Gospel in the Old Testament The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Genesis chapter 15, verse 11 In all parts of the Word of God, both in the Old Testament and the New, we find God's provision made for cleansing the sinner. If, in the light of all that has been said, we feel ourselves condemned, and that if the day of awards came tomorrow we would suffer loss and lose our crown, though we will be saved yet so as through fire, the thought should come to us as an inspiration that all our sins may be blotted out and our transgressions forgiven. It is of great encouragement, therefore, for us to study the subject now given. It is not necessary that we should simply familiarize ourselves with the New Testament. Of course, this is essential, but if we desire to know God's ability to cleanse, we should know the Old Testament scriptures with their types and ceremonies. The birds of the Bible form an interesting subject for investigation. The first mention of them in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. Scripture God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Since that time, they can be seen flying through many of the stories of the Holy Bible, filled with lessons of sweetness and power. Their songs have been the sweetest, their feathers have been the brightest, and their teaching has been the best. The eagle, mounting up far above the earth and building its nest above the clouds, is a picture of Christian exhilaration. Isaiah had it in mind when he said, Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. The same bird, preparing its nest and pushing out its little ones so that they may learn to fly, offers a splendid illustration of the providence of God, perhaps seeming a little harsh, but with the outcome always glorious. Everyone who has come to know God in Christ must certainly say with the Apostle Paul that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. When Elijah was at the brook of Cherith, and the waters had passed from his vision, and he himself was on the verge of starvation, the birds fed him. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. Every little sparrow that comes fluttering through the air is a reminder of what Jesus said that even a sparrow does not fall to the ground without our Heavenly Father knowing it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. As we read the Old Testament stories, we find that there are also birds of prey. They too have their lessons, but the stories they tell are not so bright and happy. This lesson in the text is along this line. Abram is a wonderful study for the Christian. In the great events of his life, he perfectly typifies the experience through which every Christian has passed. When God called him from Ur of the Chaldees, he was an illustration of our being called from the land of sin and death. By separating himself from Terah, his father-in-law, he emphasized what Jesus said, 
that we must forsake father and mother and our own life if we want to be his disciple luke chapter 14 verse 33 every christian if he is to be used of god must forsake the world in abram's separation from lot he is a perfect illustration of the demand made in the new testament that we must if we desire to be filled with the holy spirit of god separate ourselves even from the flesh when we read the connection of the text with other verses of scripture we learn that there is a great battle waging it is written in genesis chapter 14 verses 14 through 16 when abram heard that his relative had been taken captive he let out his trained men born in his house 318 and went in pursuit as far as dan he divided his forces against them by night he and his servants and defeated them and pursued them as far as hoba which is north of damascus he brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative lot with his possessions and also the women and the people we find here a real test of abram many men have gone down just where abram stood god is always giving us tests of character read genesis chapter 14 verses 21 through 24 very carefully and notice abram's answer the king of sodom said to abram give the people to me and take the goods for yourself abram said to the king of sodom i have sworn to the lord god most high possessor of heaven and earth that i will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear you would say i have made abram rich i will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me aner eshkol and mamre let them take their share it always pays to stand for god as opposed to people in this world this is clearly taught in genesis chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. after these things the word of the lord came to abram in a vision saying do not fear abram i am a shield to you your reward shall be very great abram said o lord god what will you give me since i am childless and the heir of my house is eliezer of damascus and abram said since you have given no offspring to me one born in my house is my heir then behold the word of the lord came to him saying this man will not be your heir but one who will come forth from your own body he shall be your heir and he took him outside and said now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them and he said to him so shall your descendants be then he believed in the lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness and he said to him i am the lord who brought you out of ur of the chaldeans to give you this land to possess it he said o lord god how may i know that i will possess it so he said to him bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other but he did not cut the birds god never deserts his people he sometimes delays but he never forsakes there is a promise of blessing that comes to everyone who will walk uprightly 
Notice the eighth verse of this fifteenth chapter of Genesis. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Abram does not put this test to God because he does not believe God or because he believes that God may fail him, but because it was the custom in those days for a person to give a pledge of the fulfillment of a promise. That is why he asked, How may I know? God's answer to him is a very strange one. It is found in the verse that follows. So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Genesis chapter 15, verse 9. Thus, seated opposite the altar, we find Abram waiting. That is a wonderful illustration of faith in God. It is still early in the morning and the offerings are before him, but God does not speak. Still, Abram believes God and he counts it to him for a blessing. There was no sign of the acceptance of the sacrifice, such as one would expect, but he does not waver. His faith is as firm as the rocks around him. Sarah may have ridiculed him, and the servants may have looked at him curiously, as if his mind was wandering, but Abram continued to wait. I am certain that one of the greatest blessings of his life came to him while he waited. All of us have had our hours of waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. We have had sleepless nights. We have climbed the hill hundreds of times to see if there was a cloud the size of a man's hand giving us the sign of the coming of victory. 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 43 through 44. And the world has said that all our faith and hope was in vain. But that was not the case at all. This is when the spiritual life grows. It is also the time when the unclean birds come to discourage us and disturb us. Just as they hovered around the offering of Abram, so they soar above us, seeking to rob us of the best things of our life, of all that would make life worth living. However, it is possible for us to drive them all away, just as we find Abram did in the text with which we started. Scripture the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Genesis chapter 15, verse 11. These offerings are the same as those commanded to Moses, and if we put them all together, we have a perfect illustration of the atonement of Jesus Christ and of the power of His blood to make clean. I will not consider the offerings in their order, but I will give them to you in this chapter as they have impressed themselves upon my own mind. Roman numeral 1. Scripture. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 7 and 10. Because of the light shed upon the atonement, very few services in the Old Testament scriptures are more interesting in the past and more powerful as we study them in the present than the offering of the goats. There were two in number, and in this there lies the very deepest thought of God in regard to sin. What must I do to be saved, Acts chapter 16 verse 30, has been the heart cry of many poor lost souls who no sooner utter it than the evil birds begin to fly about their heads suggesting all sorts of answers to the question. 
One whispers, reform, and the poor tempted person makes an effort. But what a struggle he has, for he finds that when he has cut off one sin, the strength of it seems to go in the channel in which another has been flowing. He learns that reformation, even if it is complete, which it rarely is, only touches the present and possibly the future, but never for a moment makes provision for one's awful past. Another bird suggests that we should simply be good. One great evangelist says, stop being unkind. Another one, equally great, says, do right and you will be a Christian. With all due respect for these men who have been considered great, I submit that they are wrong. For one might stop being unkind today, but what about yesterday? And one may possibly do right tomorrow, but who is to make provision for the deeds of today? Man's way has miserably failed. Let us now turn to God to seek the proper answer to the question. The first goat was slain for the Lord, and this side of man's sin must never be forgotten. In the transgressions of man God has been dishonored, His truth has been scorned, His authority has been set aside, His majesty has been insulted, His law has been broken, and His name has been despised. No reformation of man can ever make this wrong right. Thus, in the Old Testament, the goat was offered to meet God's demands, which were just, and to satisfy His holy law. And thus in the New Testament, Jesus Christ came to suffer and to die. There is much teaching today that magnifies the life of Jesus, but the clear teaching of the Word of God is that only by the shedding of His blood is there forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. The blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Much is said today about Jesus being a teacher, but He said Himself that the Spirit, when He has come, would teach us all things. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus Christ came to die, so that through His death an avenue might be opened up for man to come back to his God and be reconciled forever unto God. But this is not all. The second goat was led forth with a scarlet cord around its neck. The hands of the priest were laid upon its head, the sins of the people were confessed, and then, by the hand of a suitable person, the scapegoat was led away into a land that was not inhabited. In this, it becomes a proper illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, and He has carried our sins away as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, verse 12. It is an inspiration for us to know that when Jesus Christ died on Calvary, not only did He die to set us free from the penalty of sin in the sight of God, but by His death we are set free from the power of sin in our own lives. When someone becomes discouraged and finds that he by himself cannot keep from sin, the evil bird comes to whisper once again, You need to expect it. You have been born with a tendency to sin. You have been cursed with a desire for sin. Your old nature is still with you. If we are faithful students of our own nature and of the Word of God, we know and believe all this. 
However, this is no license to sin. For God's Word tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, verse 9. That is, He will be faithful to Christ, who has carried our sin away. Isaiah's picture in the 53rd chapter of his prophecy is a picture of Jesus Christ as the scapegoat, carrying the weight of our sins through the wilderness. For every evil bird that comes to discourage us or to discredit God's word, there is a sure way by which they may be driven from us. The word of God is our defense, and you simply have to hold up to Satan, whose agents these evil birds are, the expression, It is written, and he will be overcome. Roman numeral 2. Scripture. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening, and it shall be a perpetual statute to the sons of Israel and to the alien who sojourns among them. Numbers chapter 19, verse 1 and 10. If someone were to give this passage of Scripture a casual reading, he might find in it very little to grab his attention. However, if he studies it carefully and compares Scripture with Scripture, he will learn that not only is it one of the most intensely interesting studies in all the Bible, but also that it sheds light upon the Gospel story and makes both plain and powerful one phrase of the work accomplished by our blessed Lord. There was something in the color of the heifer, for it was not allowable to have one single white hair. It had to be all red. Certainly this is just a little hint that in the sacrificial life and death of Jesus Christ there was not one single bright ray. The offering must be without blemish. If there was the smallest spot of weakness about it, it was to be rejected. He was without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, too. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. The Son of God, our Savior, was absolutely perfect. The red heifer was to be taken out of the camp, and there put to death. Jesus was taken outside the city, and he was crucified upon the green hill that we call Calvary. When the heifer was burned, scarlet was cast into the flames, which I suppose was used to typify the sins of Israel, for both theirs and ours are red like crimson or scarlet. Cedar wood and hyssop were also cast in. The cedar was the grandest tree in the olden times, the king of the forest, while hyssop was the common everyday plant that could be found outside the door of every cottage. Taking the hyssop on the one side and the cedar on the other, all nature would be included in the sweep. Surely there is a hint here as to the breadth of the atonement provided by Jesus Christ, and also a clear suggestion as to the power of Christ's blood to cleanse. In the first twelve verses of the sixth chapter of Numbers, we have the law of the Nazarites. From this, we learn that if the Nazarite defiled himself in any way, he must immediately be cleansed, or else would be out of fellowship with God. We see that if he is out of fellowship, the days of his uncleanness are lost with God. In other words, if any unconfessed or unforgiven sin is in our hearts or lives, we may be saved, 
we will not argue that question, but our time is lost. It counts for nothing with God, and we will one day be called to a strict account for this loss of time. How many Christians today are absolutely without power? Their voices were once heard in the prayer meeting, their testimony once rang out clearly in the church, their life in the home was without reproach, yet today they have lost their testimony. It is when someone is in such a condition as this that the evil bird comes straight from hell to say to him, Ah, yes, you once accepted Christ and made great professions. You once joined the church and gave much promise of usefulness. You were once prominent in the Christian world. But now this is past. You have lost it all, for your case is hopeless. I have been told that in the olden days, there was a Puritan pastor who every once in a while called the roll of the dead. He called the patriarchs by name, one by one, and then standing silent in the pulpit, waited for an answer. The silence was voiceful. Then, looking at his congregation, he said, Brethren, there is no response. After calling these names, he would call the names of kings, the names of apostles, the names of famous historians, and the names of artists, scientists, inventors, and philanthropists. After the roll call, the same answer was given each time. Brethren, there is no response. These men are dead. I could call the names too, if I would. Here is the name of one who was once the superintendent of a Sunday school, but who did not answer at the roll call. Here is another who once was an officer in the church, but his voice is silent. Here is another who was once honored in society for his professed faithfulness unto God, but there is no response to his name. And oh, the sadness! Here is another whose name was once a household word as an honored minister of the gospel, but there is no response to his name. What is the reason? It is because, like the Nazarite, they have come in contact with the dead. Their old sins have come up again, like bones from the grave, defiling their memory and robbing them of their power. It is because the very atmosphere they have been obliged to breathe like ours is against God and is in enmity to Christ. It is not easy to keep unstained from the world. James chapter 1 verse 27. The Jews considered every open vessel unclean. But one is still left to us. Not long ago, there was a tragedy on one of the great western lakes in which a whole family was destroyed. A friend was asked to break the news to the only survivor of it. One daughter was left at home, and she had not yet heard of what was known in all the town. Everyone feared for her mental state after she was told of the great calamity. Gathering courage for her difficult task, the friend began, I have something to tell you. The girl at once suspected that something terrible was coming, and she asked, Is it father? Where is he? And mother, where is mother? The girl's heart stopped beating for suspense. Your mother is drowned, and your father too. But Tom, why is he not here? Is he gone too? Yes, he too, the poor girl could only whisper. And Jenny, is she dead too? Yes. And Ethel and Frank and the baby? Yes, 
all gone. Are they all dead? Yes, God help you, they are all gone. A wild look came into the tearless eyes. Her friend was a devout woman, and so she said, But God is left. The poor girl gave her a blinding look, and then burst into a flood of tears. That old-fashioned comfort that was the mainstay of our forefathers came to her aid. It saved the girl's reason by bringing to her aid her only friend. What was said to this broken-hearted girl, I say to you, and to all whose lives may have lost the peace of God, God is still love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 He loves you, and having loved you, He will love you unto the end. John chapter 13, verse 1 His New Testament provision is a far better one than the old. Scripture For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13-14 through 14. We do not need to stay out of fellowship or be deprived of power. God is love, and He will give us all things if we simply fulfill His conditions. Roman numeral 3. Scripture Then you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall slaughter the ram, and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the lobes of his sons' right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet, and sprinkle the rest of the blood around on the altar. Exodus chapter 29, verses 19-20. through 20. Another part of the offering of Abram was the ram. This, like all the rest, sheds light upon the gospel, and the understanding of it is the secret of peace for many lives. When the blood was sprinkled upon the ear and the thumb and the foot, it was a sign that they were from then on to be separated from all worldly purposes. In this example, we get a deep lesson in regard to consecration. We have been told that we must forsake all for Christ, and some of us have done it. We have been counseled to give up the things that we have really enjoyed simply because they are questionable or contrary to the teaching of God's Word. Then, when we have done this, the evil bird comes to us saying, You have forsaken these things, but what have you got in return? We frequently find people who stand in this position, who are of all people the most miserable. This is because they have only taken half the step. They have separated themselves from something, but have failed to consecrate themselves to anything. In other words, there are two sides to the doctrine of separation. We are to be separated from the world, but we are at the same time to be separated unto Christ, and the place that the world once filled is now to be occupied by Christ Himself. It is to be noted that the blood was placed upon the ear first. This is very significant to me. So many people get an idea that if they are converted, they must immediately do something for Christ, when in fact, service comes last. The blood placed upon the ear first teaches the lesson 
that we are to hear what the Lord has to say to us. If we could simply cultivate the habit of going alone each day and sitting still just to commune with God, what a source of strength it would be to us. God only tells His secrets to those who shut out the world and thus come close to Him. The blood was placed upon the hand next, from which I learned that not only are we to hear what God has to say to us, but we are to reach out and take what He offers. God has promised us the Holy Spirit. He is a gift. Reach out and take the gift. The blood was placed upon the foot last. This may stand for service, but notice the divine order. We have reached a time when rules of service are hardly necessary, when we are certain that the methods adopted for soul-winning must grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, if one is to be used of God, he must certainly surrender to God and give Him the right-of-way in his life, and then service comes naturally and results are sure. Dr. A. J. Gordon said that he started his church with all sorts of organizations, and that all of his time was required to keep them in order, and even then, he failed. But after a while, he swung away from these organizations to preach Christ. The life of self-surrender and the fact that the Holy Spirit was to be the administrator of the affairs of the church. Now the organizations are few in number, but when his testimony was given before his departure, the church was filled with power and known throughout the world. Roman numeral 4 Scripture So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Genesis chapter 15, verse 9. We learn in one of the texts with which we started that part of the offering of Abram was that of a turtle dove and a young pigeon. There is in this the very sweetest thought. These birds are bred plentifully in the East, and while one may not have been able to get a ram or a goat or a heifer, everybody could get a turtle dove or a pigeon. They were for the poor. They were not to be divided. We can understand how, in the study of the types, and also in the study of the gospel, evil birds would come to mystify us with these great doctrines. They might bring up the atonement and say, Explain it, if you can, and we cannot do it. They might submit to us the question of the divinity and the humanity of the Son of God, and we are perplexed in our minds, although we firmly believe it in our hearts. But no sooner do these evil birds come than we learn that everybody may have a turtle dove or a pigeon to offer. This somehow makes the truth plain to us, and the message very sweet. It is said that a girl, known as Scotch Mary, went before the session of the Kirk in Scotland but failed to pass the examination to join the church. She went a second time and again failed. She could not answer the great questions of the church. She went a third time with a similar result, and as she was turning away, the examiner stopped her in the manner typical of a Scottish minister, and she said to him, I cannot answer your hard questions, but I know this. He died for me, and I can die for him. He called her back, and the elders listened to her once again. Mary was at last admitted as a member, 
and she was a faithful one for many years after. The turtle dove and the young pigeon are types of the Holy Spirit. Two or three young men visited Washington recently and went into the National Museum. They passed a cabinet on which were the words, the body of a man weighing 354 pounds. Where is the man? someone asked. No one answered him. However, nearby was another cabinet, containing an assortment of various items, including jars containing different kinds of fats, phosphates, lime, carbonate of lime, a few ounces of sugar, calcium, sodium, and other chemicals. Another section held a row of clear glass jars filled with gases, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen. There was a square lump of coal, and more bottles separately labeled phosphorus, calcium, magnesia, and potassium. In a little jar was a fraction of an ounce of iron, and nearby was a lump of ill-smelling brimstone. The materials in these cabinets contained the disintegrated elements that would go to make up a person, but it was not a person. It needed the touch of God and His abiding presence to make these substances that the eye could see live, breathe, and become a thinking, willing man. Thus does the Holy Spirit come, and thus must He ever come to take the instrumentality of our churches and be the power behind them, to take the methods of our Christian workers and make the people understand that far beyond every man is the power of the Holy Spirit Himself. This plea is made so that every life may thus be yielded to His fellowship. What is a yielded life? Tis one at God's command, for Him to mold, to form, to use, or do with it as He may choose, resistless in His hand. What is a yielded life? A life whose only will, when into blessed subjection brought, in every deed and aim and thought, seeks just to do His will. What is a yielded life? A life which love has won, and in surrender full complete, lays all with gladness at the feet of God's most holy Son. W. A. G.